this morning is the beginning of something new here at Renaissance Church. We are starting our series entitled Pictures of God today. And that means for six weeks, we're going to be focusing on Jesus' vision of what God is like. And our hope is that his vision would shape the character of our church so that altogether Renaissance Church would become a place where the character, uh, what it feels like, the kind of place we become is shaped first, not by who we are or what we wish God were like, but rather how God looked to Jesus. Now, if you know uh, the stories of Jesus' life, especially his interaction with others, especially his way of interacting with the religious establishment, you know that often he found himself at odds with the way people seemed to think about God. Do you know this? Uh, he found in uh, the leadership of the communities in his day a surprising hypocrisy. He found a self-righteousness a kind of mean-spiritedness that didn't fit with his vision of God. And so the way that Jesus chose to address and correct these misperceptions very simply was by telling stories in which he presented his own vision of what God looks like. You might have heard of parables. Uh, each week we're going to take one. And our goal will be very simply uh, to gain a clearer picture of the character of God in the stories which Jesus told so that the way that our church grows in the days ahead will be shaped first and foremost by Jesus' vision and not our own inclinations or attitudes. Today, our theme is going to be God's welcome. Uh, do you know that Jesus encountered religious uh, folks in his own day who believed that it was only they who are welcomed by God and not others. You know that? Uh, he told a story to address that. At the same time, he also encountered people in his own day who would say, I know that I could never be welcomed by God because of who I am. Uh, sometimes his, his stories address both groups. I guess that among us, whether we'd like to admit it or not, there's a little bit of both which lives inside of all of us. That is, there's a part of us that would like it very much if these people here were welcomed by God, but there are some who we'd rather not have sitting beside us on a Sunday morning. We're not going to broadcast that, but do you know there's a part of us, every one of us that has that a little bit? I, I hope that in looking at Jesus' story this morning, that that inclination in you is challenged, not by me, but by the radical welcome we see in Jesus' picture of God. And then I also know that there are some here who will have learned along the way to think, well, if there is a God, then surely not this person. Maybe he would be for others, but not for me. I'm here, that's good enough, but I would not be welcomed at God's table. That also will be challenged this morning. And the story that we'll look at is a parable that Jesus unfolded around, of all places, the dinner table. Do we have any other fans of eating in here? <laughs> Isn't it the best when you get to sit down and you have a good meal? I mean good food, but also good conversation. There's something uh, about that kind of setting that's magnificent. Jesus was invited to a setting like that. Uh, the table uh, was hosted by a religious leader in his day. 
And it's clear that the reason Jesus had been invited to that meal was so that the religious community could begin to get a picture of how Jesus imagined God to be. Uh, in their case, there was a bit of a threat. Remember, they saw Jesus getting popular and they were a bit threatened by that. They wanted to get a sense for how does this guy think about God? And so they invite him to a table and they begin to steer the conversation in just such a way that the subject of God's character will emerge. And Jesus follows and he begins to uh, depict a little bit about God. He talks about God's inclination to heal, that God cares about us physically. Uh, he talks about God's uh, love of the humble. Uh, the, the conversation is going along well. Uh, there's a pause, and this is in Luke chapter 14. There's a pause in the conversation when Jesus glances around the table, listen now, and he notices a conspicuous absence of certain kinds of people. And he says to the host, next time you have a banquet like this, don't just invite the intelligent, the powerful, the persuasive, the rich, your friends and neighbors so that you can get paid back. Instead, invite the poor and the blind, the lame and the crippled. Okay, table etiquette 101. When you're invited to someone's house, right, for a meal, and, and it's already started to roll, don't tell them who they should have invited who's not there. That's a guaranteed uh, uh, tension maker. You know, there's, there's subjects. You bring them up at dinner table, you know that it's going to start tension, right? You're all together with a bunch of friends and family. What do you want to talk about to make tension, right? Politics. What happens when you bring that up? It gets awkward, right? And that's what happened at this meal because Jesus said something challenging. Listen now about who was welcomed. And he didn't have to ask what they thought about who would be welcomed by God because their dinner table guest list showed their answer. Now it's tense. And so someone speaks up. And this is in verse 15 of Luke 14. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. That is a classic instance of a tension breaker, right? Politics comes up and everybody's wondering, where do you stand? And you say, man, politics is crazy, right? And everybody's like, whew, we can all agree about that. And that's what this is. Anyone who gets to eat bread in the kingdom of God, that one's blessed. Leave aside for a moment who will be there. We can all agree that to be at God's table in the kingdom of heaven, that would be good. Let me tell you something. Whatever you think about God, whatever you think about him, I know right now, deep down inside of your heart, you agree with that statement. And you know why? Listen now. Because your life has a lot of trouble in it. Because there's lots of conflict between you and people that you wish there wasn't conflict with because there's, there's less peace than you wish you had, and there's a lot more pain and loss in your life than you wish. And, and listen now, there is a day coming in the future when God himself will return, the God who created this entire world, which is in such chaos and which is so broken, and when God comes, he is going to fix everything. Everything in the world that's a mess, all of the disease and suffering and pain, it's gone. 
Every heartbreak and every hurt, all of the regrets that you yourself feel in every, every single instance of shame, when God comes, he is going to take all that away and listen now, and the place where you're finally going to experience the restoration and joy and grace and love that your heart knows it was made for is around a table where God himself is the host and he's gonna feed you and nourish you and love you and care for you beyond what you could ever dare dream or imagine in this moment right now and everything in you wants to be at that table even if you don't know it. Do some of you know that? No one in here knows it apparently. <laughs> Everyone around that table when that man said, whoever gets to sit with God in the kingdom of heaven, that person's blessed, everyone around that table would have been thinking about the heavenly vision that Isaiah had given about what it will be like when God hosts a meal and invites those to sit with him. It's from Isaiah 25. Just listen to it. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines of rich food filled with marrow of well-aged wines strained clear if you are a vegetarian i'm sorry <laughs> but here is a picture of what comes down the road and it's a banquet where god himself is the host and there everyone who sits gets prosciutto and saprasada and three inch filet mignons it is the most lavish banquet that this poet can picture. Well-aged wine strained clear. Uh, it, it's been aging since the Garden of Eden and there's no spoilage. This is the most delicious and rich feast that you could possibly imagine. It's meant to be the prophet's way of saying, all of us want one day to sit with God and experience this. He goes on to say, more about it. This is verse seven. And he, that is God, will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples. The shroud that is cast over all peoples is, is the maddening and dehumanizing division that exists between fellow human beings that shouldn't be there for petty reasons. We all hate it, don't we? On this mountain, God's gonna do away with it. He'll also do away with the sheet that is spread over all nations. The sheet is an image of mourning and grief. And we all have more than enough to be grieving about. And the worst of all, it says there, he will swallow up death forever. And that's because the prophet knows that when it comes down to it, the worst of all is death not just the spiritual death that you and I have to deal with day in and day out, but the, the, the real terrifying fact that the people that we love and sit beside one day will be gone. And some of you have an empty seat beside you because someone you loved has gone on. And here, in this meal, we read that death itself will be swallowed. That's how good this banquet will be. Verse eight, then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the disgrace of his people he will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. Would you think for a moment of what makes you cry and what you're ashamed of and what causes you regret and loss and pain? Imagine it and imagine God himself with his gentle hand wiping away the tears off of your face. You are meant to long for that and want it. Everyone at the meal where Jesus sat that evening wanted that and they knew it. And not just them, but all people want that. Everyone you've ever met wants that. Wants a seat at that feast. And now the question 
that Jesus must address in this moment at that table is the question which has already been answered indirectly by the host of that meal, which is who has a seat at the table? Just look around where Jesus is sitting and already the guest list says there are certain kinds of people who are not welcome at God's table if it's up to me to decide. That's what the guest list at this religious leader's uh, table says. And here I want to put this story aside and I want to address us as a church. And I'm going to be doing this each week for these next six weeks. I want to address us with a question that's meant to be challenging and practical. Who's welcome here? Who gets a seat at Renaissance Church? Uh, Not literally, but figuratively, who are the doors really open to? Of course, ask any church who's welcome and the church is going to say, everyone's welcome. But the real answer will not be given by what we say, but, but by how our own lives unfold, by who's sitting around our tables at home and who's in our living rooms and who do we deem worthy to sit beside us and share fellowship together. Let me tell you, that every church says, everyone's welcome. But don't you see how common it is for churches to become places of division and exclusion? Do you see that? And they divide up along very predictable lines, along racial lines, along socioeconomic lines, along lines that are political. They divide up based on theological convictions, how you think about certain ethical issues, opinions and attitudes toward contentious subjects like sexuality. There are endless ways for churches to divide up and say indirectly, these people don't have a seat. So let me ask us, and this is not a question that I'm expecting you to answer out loud in the moment, but we must together, if, listen now, if we're going to be shaped by the picture that Jesus paints, of what God looks like, we must ask, who's welcome? Is the person who does not believe like we believe welcome to come and be here? Is the person who has a political viewpoint that is offensive to us and they're not quiet about it, are they welcomed? How about this? Someone asked me this summer, I have uh, uh, neighbors who are gay and I want to invite them to church. Are they welcome? These are, not pre- these are not hypothetical questions. These are real questions. And I want you to understand this. This is absolutely critical. Our real answers are going to be revealed in the way our lives actually unfold. And beneath that always will be our particular understanding of what God is like. And that's what's at the heart of it for me. I don't want our church to be shaped by my feelings or opinions personally, but rather by what God is really like. And there are those who would say, well, I'll tell you what God is like. There are certain kind of people who are not welcomed by him. Just as there are others who would say, well, I'll tell you, if God is real, I'm certainly not the person that he would welcome. And in Jesus' story, both of those attitudes are judged and dismissed for a different picture of a God who is radically welcoming I want to to look at it with you now. After this exchange, 
where Jesus suggests that next time the guest list should include some others, and then this man tries to break the tension, Jesus responds in verse 16 with this story. This is verse 16. Then Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. I need your help now. Any guesses who this host is supposed to be? Any guesses? Be more brave. Yes. This is Jesus' picture of what God is like. Now think about this for a moment. God is like a man who decides to invite people over to a meal in his own home. Think about that for a minute. Jesus wants all of those people around the table to understand that God is hospitable that God wants us to know him personally, just like a host is willing to let you know them personally when they invite you into their own home. You know that that's a different kind of thing, right? Not meet at a restaurant, but come into my dining room. God's like that. And God wants not only for you to come so that you can know him, but also you think about it, when you're at the table with someone who's invited you into their house, they don't just want you to know them, they want to get to know you. Jesus is saying here, God wants to know the people that he brings close to him. And because this is a banquet where there are many present, this host wants everybody who's at the meal to get to know one another. Already Jesus is presenting a picture of hospitality and welcome in God. You're meant to think of yourself here and and the people around you. We are invited not, first of all, by me or anyone else in the church, but by God to come into his presence so that he can be known by us, so that he can know us, and so that we can know one another. Listen, this is not just in this story, but all over the scriptures. What God wants is not just people who say the right things or believe the right things or behave in the right way, but God wants people who are willing to open their hearts to him. And this is a picture here in this story which Jesus is painting of a God who is willing to be known and to know. Now, Jesus is telling this story, please remember, to a group of men who by their own actions have shown that they're pretty sure there are certain people who would not be invited to the banquet. And in the way he develops his story, listen, he paints them into his picture. I want you to watch this. Uh, Just to review, the banquet invitations uh, were extended. The RSVP came back. Yes, we're going to be at the banquet. The food preparations were made. That took some days back then because, you know, King's Supermarket was not right around the corner like it is here. And then when the banquet is ready, those slaves go to bring those who had been invited and said they would come. And here's Jesus' picture of the men around the table. Here's how his story continues. Verse 18. But... They all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. That is, this man has long-term plans for him and his children and his family. And at first he thought he would go to the banquet, but now that his long-term plans have become pressing, he doesn't have time to come. Verse 19, another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets at some point in the past. He said, yeah, I'd like to be there and get to know you and to let you know me. But look, business is booming right now. Five oxen, that means I've got a lot of land to plow, maybe when business isn't so busy. Another said 
I've just been married, and therefore I cannot come. Look, before I met her, I thought I had space in my life to hang out with you, but, you know, I've got things to do, and she doesn't like crowds or you, so I can't come. <laughs> Three pictures of people who said, yes, we're in. But then when it really came down to it, they didn't really want to be there after all. If you know the history of God's people from reading the Old Testament, what you see is a pattern where God reaches out to people who are far away from him and invites them to be close. And over and over again, the people of Israel say, yes, we are glad that you are our God, but then their lives reflect the truth that their hearts are many miles away from him still. Have you heard this phrase? They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Isaiah, the, the same prophet who gave that beautiful vision of God's banquet, he also wrote that to describe what it was like in Israel. Because listen now, God over and over again had reached out to his own people to say, in effect, I want your hearts. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you say you believe. To be truthful, my first inclination is not to care about your actions, but rather what's going on deep inside of your heart because I am like a host who wants you in my home. I want to be close to you and I want you to be close to me. And over and over again, Israel showed with their actions that though they said they wanted to be close to him, they really didn't have time. Their long-term plans, their business, their relationships came long before their inclination to be with God as he wanted to be with them. And it was just the same with these men around the table. The most obvious indication that they said yes with their lips to God's invitation, but no with their hearts, was the fact that these men persisted in excluding people from God's table who God himself wanted to have right there beside him. And here's how it goes with God's welcome. Please listen. This is for them, but also for us. Anyone who is welcomed by God is welcomed for one reason only. It's because God is a gracious host. Anyone who comes to that table believing that they have a seat because they earned it and they have a right to it, that person is in those moments showing that they are far away and they've excused themselves from the banquet which they think they're enjoying. And, please listen to this, those among us who would think, well, I surely couldn't be invited because of all these things behind us. We ourselves have not yet received God's vision, excuse me, Jesus' vision of what God is like. And here it is, that the very people that even God's religious community is ready to reject are the beloved objects of God's affection and desire. That is, he wants to be with everyone and to have them with him. And the question for us as a church is will our life together reflect that or will we find ourselves making excuses and missing the banquet? What happens next in Jesus' story makes it completely plain that from his perspective, from Jesus' perspective, these men who were so sure that they had a right to God's presence had in fact uninvited themselves by wanting to reject others. The fact that that's in Jesus' mind becomes very plain in what happens next in his story. 
This is verse 21. This is after all three say, we're not coming. So, the slave returned and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry. Now hold on here. Again, this is God. And God's angry when those he reaches out to decide not to come and take advantage of the gift that he means to give in himself. And look at what he does with his anger. And he said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Does that list sound familiar? It's just the group that Jesus had said earlier ought to have been there, but who were obviously absent. And you know, there is a definite and historical and an ugly reason why they're not there at the table. And it has to do with the plain image of God, which is in the minds of those men who have invited Jesus in hopes of getting his picture of God. And we can trace it back all the way to Isaiah. You heard in that image of the heavenly banquet that Isaiah gave, which was given 600 years before this story. Did you hear who was invited to the meal on that mountain? Who, who, who was it for that feast? And help me here, be brave. You don't remember. All peoples. And in Isaiah, all peoples means all peoples. And, and I need to point that out because in their day, it was plain that Israel had begun to adapt an attitude that they were God's elect and that meant that they were more special to God than everyone else and that everyone else was excluded. And what the prophet needed to tell them is you've been chosen by God not because you're more special than everyone else but because I have a mission for you to extend in your way of living in the world my character into the world so that everyone knows who I am. And when you get that right, then you'll see that I am for everyone and I want you to show everyone that they're welcome in my presence because I love the whole creation that I made. Did you know that in John 3.16, it says, for God so loved the world, not just the religious people who got it right. And so Isaiah says it's a feast for all peoples, and he describes it. The centuries roll on, and about 200 years before Jesus, the religious community begins to produce books again. One of them is called Enoch, it's not in our scriptures as a church, but it would have been the Bible that many of these men read when they were kids. And in Enoch, there's also a vision of the heavenly banquet, but it's changed. Because from Isaiah's day on forward, the vision that people had of God's welcome began to narrow. In Enoch's version, everyone is invited, but the only people who have seats are the descendants of Jacob, the people of God, and all of the Gentiles, those, are, those people who are not Jewish, they are slaughtered before the meal begins. They're killed. That's a different vision of what God is like, isn't it? It's kind of hard to keep your appetite. 200 years roll by, Jesus comes onto the scene, and now there's a community of religious zealots the Qumran community, some of you maybe have heard of this. In the 60s, archaeologists found the scrolls that were buried in the caves of Qumran that were the writings of people who, while Jesus himself was teaching like this, were having their own religious communities develop with their own ideas and visions about God. And in the community rule of the people of Qumran, the banquet is described yet again, but once again, it is a further narrowing of vision and in the Qumran community's text 
about who's invited to that meal, it's not all of the people who are of Israel who are allowed, but only the sons of light. That is, only the religious people who've achieved a certain level of perfection will actually be allowed. Everyone else will be excluded. And I have for you a quote from that very text about who is not allowed to be there. It says, no one can attend who is, quote, smitten in the flesh or paralyzed in his feet or hands or lame or blind or deaf or dumb. Because God must not have space at his table for people like that. That sounds ugly, doesn't it? And what Jesus meant to say in that moment is anyone who decides to say that they have the power to exclude any type of person from God's table is showing that their heart is far away from God. And what they need to hear is of the radical and unexpected and unbelievable breadth of God's welcome for all in Christ. That is not to say that it doesn't matter who you are or how you live in the world. No one could listen to Jesus and believe that. And by the way, this is only the first of six pictures that we'll look at. So if this raises questions for you about, well, doesn't it matter how you live? And doesn't it matter how you live ethically? Of course, don't judge uh, Jesus' vision of God on one picture, but here, let this picture challenge us to say, how are we going to live together as a community? How is Renaissance Church going to be shaped as it continues to grow in these days ahead, are we going to let God's radical welcome in Jesus' story shape the way that we conduct ourselves or not? As long as I am here with you, I feel that it is my responsibility to set before us Jesus' picture of what God looks like and challenge us over and over again to let that picture shape our character as a church. And that means two things. First, this is very practical, that none of us are allowed any longer to take responsibility for dictating the guest list at God's table, but rather in every way possible, we should try to reflect this radical welcome by living lives ourselves, which welcome people who our natural inclination may be to push away. That's the first thing. And that should happen first in our friendships, in, in, in our work relationships, in our own homes, who comes and sits with us, who we welcome, who we, who we regard with dignity and worth simply for who they are. That's the first thing, that none of us would ever go on believing that only we are the ones who have a right to his welcome and not these others. That's the first. And here's the second that those parts of us which will persist in believing that if God is welcoming, well, he certainly can't welcome a person like me. Here, Jesus' story is asking us to give up that attitude too. And maybe that's not you. Maybe you've not come in here with a question about whether or not you would be welcomed at the table. Maybe you're so sure of it. But I know, I know many people who when they take off the mask and they dig down deep enough, they look at who they've been and how they've lived, they would recoil at the thought that they themselves had a seat. I know it. Maybe some of you are in that place. There's a part of you that's like that. You've begun to believe that I am lame in just this way. And unless I get that straightened out, I know God's not gonna have me at his table. I am blind, I know it. I can't see my way forward here. And unless I get vision, God's not gonna have me here any longer. I'm spiritually crippled because of this addiction or this shame that I've harbored and hidden. I know for sure there's a part of that in many of us. 
And so we'll want to reject others as we reject ourselves. But this story also challenges that. I've seen it with my own eyes how hard it is to believe in God's grace, really. There was a a time where it came home to me. It was about 10 years ago. I was leading a retreat for a group of high school students. And I love that kind of thing. I was talking about God's grace and his mercy and his love. A lot of those kids were on fire. They were so excited. I could see it on their faces. There was one kid on this retreat on the last morning we were together. I wanted to give uh, the, the, the kids who were there a chance to reflect on God's grace and pray and be grateful. And while I talked about it at that last morning, I could see his face said, no. He looked angry and bitter while I talked. At the end, I said to the, uh, to the group, listen, it's raining outside, so don't go outside, but find your way somewhere in the building where you can be alone and pray and think about God's love and mercy for you. And, and, and when I'm done praying, you're gonna go do that. I started to pray and I saw him stand up and walk out. I finished and I looked out the window and I saw him in the distance walking into the woods. And he was a kid that I'd spent a lot of time with. He had a hard life in a lot of ways. I walked out to follow him. I was concerned for him. It was pouring rain. He walked into the woods. I saw him in the distance go into a broken down old cabin that had been neglected by this camp. I came close and I could hear through the cracked window his sobbing. Just sobbing uncontrollably. I came around and I, I, I felt God was saying, go in, sit with him. I sat next to him and I put my hand on his shoulder and it only got worse. And I didn't know what to do. It was really awkward. So I finally said to him, hey, listen, I don't know what's wrong, but God loves you. And he looked at me and he said, no. You don't know what you're saying. You don't know how cruel I've been to my sister. You don't know how ugly I've been to, the, uh, to people in my life, how mean I am at school, how, how much hate there is in my heart. Maybe God loves you and others, but not me. And then he just started sobbing again. And I said, didn't you hear what I said? God forgives everyone. He welcomes everyone. You gotta believe that. And he said, no, I won't believe it. It cannot be true for me. And here was a young man who had said very emphatically, there is no seat for me. And you know, listen now, at first I thought, wow, he's really far from understanding God's grace. But in reflecting on it, I think he's a lot closer to understanding God's grace than the religious people who sit around a table and think it's only for them because of what they've done right. Those are the people who honor God with their lips and are far from him in their hearts. There are people who say, yeah, I'm going to come to the banquet, but then they let petty things like their work and their plans and their relationships get in the way of knowing God because anyone who comes close to him will be utterly broken by how broad and astounding and unbelievable his welcome really is. This comes through in the way that Jesus' story ends. Verse 22. This is after inviting the people who weren't supposed to be at the table. The slave said, sir, what you ordered has been done and there still is room. Can that be our motto together as a church? I'm serious. Even if, I, I don't mean like literally, right? Like if the seats fill up, we'll get another service, whatever. There might not be room. But I mean, can that be our motto in terms of who's welcome here? There still is room. Again, not because we're saying everybody's right right? Or that it doesn't matter who you are, but because we're saying this table 
The host of this table is the one who gets to decide who comes, not us. Thank God, because if it were up to us, we might not even be here. Then the master said to the slave, this is my favorite part, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. And the reason he says this, listen now, it's not because people don't want to be at his banquet. It's because this master knows that the world is filled with people who would never dare to believe that they would have the right to sit directly beside the creator of the universe who they've wronged repeatedly in their lives over and over again with every ugly attitude and sin that's imaginable. But here is a vision for the church. Become a place that is so unbelievably welcoming that people who would never think that God could be for them are invited and welcomed. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you that you are like this host, so radically generous and broad in your invitation and in your welcome. We thank you first because it means that every one of us has been beckoned by you through your spirit to come and know you personally, to be known by you, and then to get to know the others that you have welcomed into your presence. God, we know that uh, the people that we've made of ourselves uh, have no right to sit with you, but we thank you that in Christ you've decided to be gracious and invite us. And then, God, we ask very simply that this truth about who you are would change the character first of, of us individually and, and of our families and of our friendship groups, but then that that would spread out and change the character of Renaissance Church so that more and more we would reflect your, your truth, that we would reflect the vision that Jesus had of who you were, that people would be surprised by the welcome that they receive here. Again, not because we are gracious, but because you are the God of grace, the God who welcomes unbelievably. God, we love you and thank you for this time to be together. We pray that your spirit would be at work changing us so that we would be the church that you want us to be. We pray for this in Jesus' name.